It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust. Here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is the place where you'll find all of your tech news, even when there is no news like there was last week. And as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. It's a good week. Uh, it's a great birthday. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a year older, but none the wiser. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, did do anything extra special for your birthday? Extra special, no. Uh, my actual birthday, we went out to dinner. Um, that's about it. And um, I had some friends uh, gathered together at a local burger joint for lunch this past weekend. Mm, that sounds good. Actually, a burger sounds really good right now. Mm. Well, it's a really good burger joint. Like They bake their own buns. Uh, it's all natural beef. And the service is phenomenal. Um when I got there and I got in line to place my order, they wished me happy birthday. <laughs> huh. So they already knew by then that it was your birthday? Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I don't know if my guest that showed up before me told them it was my birthday or not, but uh, they wished me happy birthday. They were very friendly. And at the end of the day, they they came out and gave me a, a cake and, and, <laughs> and uh, offered to sing me happy birthday, but I declined. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is show number 66, and it sounds like we're a little rushed because of the lasagna tonight. So, <laughs> um, might as well go ahead and jump right into our stories and a little bit of site news, nothing too major, but it's a part of one of our tips of the week, so I'll save it until then. But we'll start right off with apparently 93% of Australia is, going, is getting government-run fiber. <laughs> in the next uh, five years or whatever. Yeah, it seems like the next eight years, if I read it correctly. Um, and it's $38 billion they're spending to run fiber around the the, the country um, to give most of their citizens access, access to high-speed internet. Um, but uh, I read this report. I had a huge question. I don't know if you saw it, but I didn't see it in the report. Um, this was talking about connectivity on the on the island, but I didn't see anything about a backhaul. Are they running more lines to, to get a, a bigger backhaul? From my understanding is that there's um, nothing for sure yet, but hope they're hoping to maybe work with Telstra, who apparently already has all the conduit and everything, and they've got a fair bit of excess room in a lot of the conduits for running fiber and stuff. So they could end up saving a lot of money um, making some kind of a deal with Telstra for laying all the fiber. So it could right, actually but, be even cheaper than they're expecting. But they're still going to be restricted on the internet leaving the island and hooking it up to the mainland. Yeah, that I would assume so. Okay. But what really makes me wonder is apparently 
they're just kind of rolling out the infrastructure and then the ISPs can kind of buy into the service. But I'm wondering if this is kind of a backwards way of getting the filtering in that a lot of the ISPs have fought up until now. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point. Um, If they control the infrastructure, of course, they can control the flow of information. Uh, There's been rumors that here in the U.S., I shouldn't say rumors, but that we have uh, Internet services, uh, ISPs have something called some sort of black box that the government can tap into and gain gain control and and listen in. Um, But, of course, if the government in Australia is rolling this out, they can build that directly into the system. Yeah, well, for at least for here, I'm, it's pretty much common knowledge that the government has access to pretty much all kinds of communication. I mean, I know they've got all kinds of deals with like AT and T and whatever for anything that routes through an AT and T data center. They get a copy of it, so that way, in case it's for national security or whatever. And as I recall. There, I believe there is some kind of a special satellite intelligence thing that there's not a whole lot known about. I believe the code name on it is Echelon, where they can intercept all kinds of data communications, phone calls, and stuff like that as well. Right, and then, then there was the email system. I think they called it Carnivore. Um, I forget the name of it, uh, but I think it was Carnivore. So, yes, this definitely sounds like it would be a nice Trojan horse sound like they're doing a really good thing for the country, but instead they're working in their own self-interest, which is not surprising for any governmental body. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering with this rollout of fiber and everything, if there's going to be the issue of bandwidth caps that have seemed to plague Australia for a while. They've finally gotten to where they are um, a lot more up-to-date in terms of bandwidth uh, and speed and stuff. But they, last I knew, they were still having major issues with really low bandwidth caps in Australia. I'm kind of curious to see if that has any effect on it. Yeah, right. And as I was saying, if they don't use this to enhance the backhaul, uh, it's just going to make that bandwidth cap uh, worse, the situation entirely uh, exponentially worse. Because with faster speed, people are going to be consuming more and more data, and they're going to be hitting these caps a lot quicker than previously before yeah i kind of wish we'd have these have these speeds here in the u.s because they're talking about what is it uh 100 megabit service Mm -hmm. yeah that would be really nice well google still has not announced where who's getting the one gigabit uh fiber lay down have they no i don't think they're supposed to announce that until the end of the year early next year or something like that i think they're taken a year to figure it out yeah well um from our story last week about the about the ipb4 address shortages uh, this rollout in australia and in the united states and all around the world um, it's showing that why that number is being accelerated from previous estimates mm-hmm. yeah what's really nice for the Australians is not only are the major metropolitan areas all getting fiber, which would be like 90 to 93% of the population, but even the people inland are still getting, going to be getting some kind of a 20 megabit a second satellite based broadband. 
which I know the um, ping times and stuff on those are really bad, but still, that kind of speed over satellite would be really nice. Yeah, well, something's better than nothing. Um, I know a lot of their populations are on the outskirts of the island because of the uh, lack of water inland. Um, and But it, it's glad that they're not neglecting anybody, but making sure that even... Even the people inland uh, will have access to uh, internet, even though they may not be able to do any uh, serious gaming over it, but they will still be able to get their news and stay in touch. Yeah, that's one of the things where Australia really has a big edge over the U.S., or at least when it comes to like broadband and stuff, is with the U.S., people are really spread out all over the place, but with... In, but with Australia, everybody's just kind of gathered around the coasts and highly populated areas. So rolling out something like fiber isn't that big a deal compared to trying to do that here in the U.S. Yeah. They're going to be lucky. It's going to take some time to roll out, but eight years still seems fairly quick to do a nationwide rollout, even though it is uh, in densely populated areas. I mean, that's still a lot of streets to rip up. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see if they actually get some deals done with Telstra and if they can come in underneath their budget or what they are expecting it to cost. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they've, that with the deal with Telstra and some other ways, they're going to be able to cut some corners and make things even cheaper. But speaking of the Internet and places that like to filter the Internet, apparently libraries are now allowed to filter the, inter- the, the Internet and it's not considered censorship according to a court in Washington State. Yeah, this is um, stating that since the library has limited resources, that they have the ability or the the right to limit what uh, how they allocate that resource, which means they can do filtering um, in their own network, which I think is wrong. Um, maybe what they should do is have a segregated portion and maybe once one computer is uncensored. Uh, and then that way they can they can have most of it uh, most of it censored if they wanted or filtered because of restri- resource constraints, but at least have one to to have the ability to reach all of the internet. Well, the way that I've heard and I think I kind of subscribe to is that make it as to where it's filtered for everybody, but for people over the age of eighteen or whatever, they can go and ask a filter to be turned off if there's something that they need to get to that is filtered. That That's the approach that I like the most when it comes to stuff like this. I'm still not a big fan of filtering anyway, but I kind of understand the um, Washington State Supreme Court, Court's point in that they're basically kind of looking at the Internet as an extension of the library's collection. Mm-hmm. And they're basically allowing them to curate that collection just like they would a collection of books or movies or some music or whatever. I'm not sure how the libraries up there compared to here. Right. But um, a lot of libraries also have computer systems that hook them to the databases of other libraries, and those libraries are then able to be checked out through, uh, through the library that the person's in, even though the physical material might be at another library, and which is exactly how the internet works, where it's a collection of computers and allows you to have access to those different servers in different locations. So it's, it's, it's a way of looking at it, but um, 
it, it, it's kind of a harken back to people who are against healthcare because healthcare could be used for abortions. People don't want the same thing happening with the internet in public places. They don't want to have their tax dollars in any way possibly be contributing to uh, a child watching pornography in some sort of library in, in, in some neighborhood somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of filtering software they're going to use because I, I've had some experience with some filtering softwares here and there, and they always seem to accidentally take out sites that they should like yep. you want to do medical research, can't do it because it has the word penis in it or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is a little stupid. I'm at a library. Why can't I look up medical research? But that's just kind of a problem that I've always seen with filtering. Then again, I haven't really had too much experience with filters in probably, say, three or four years, so I would think that they'd be a little better, but I'm sure they're still getting lots of false positives. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to have our country talk to China or any other country for uh, censoring when we go ahead and say in our public libraries for our people's general access that the government supplies, we are going to censor that. So I think censoring is one of those all or nothing kind of a thing, uh, which we uh, all are for or all against. But then again, we also still have censored television. Yeah, well, in the end, it may be just that it comes down to security issues, which is apparently a big issue on some universities. Oh, yes. Uh, one of our next story is saying that some universities are, jump, are dumping Gmail over security concerns. I mean, I personally wouldn't want my email outsourced by my company or my university. So I think that's some of the concerns here. Yeah, I- I don't know. I, I, it seems like there's got to be more concerns here than what they really state. I mean, they say that this is um, having to deal with the University of California, and apparently um, about a month ago, Yale made the same decision, and that apparently there's some sec- sort of security issues in regards to outsourcing email, and there's some c- possible compliance issues with like the University of California electronic commu- communications policy, which, I don't know, it, I'm a big fan of Gmail. I've never really noticed any security issues of it. I mean, there was the whole buzz thing, mm-hmm. but I think now they've kind of made that as to where you don't have to worry about that too much. And as far as I know, schools like this are using Google Apps rather than just plain Gmail, as to where it's all branded in their own school and everything like that, which service I've used once, and I like it, because it's essentially Gmail, just with a different logo up in the corner. But Well, I wonder if it has to do with uh, how granular the uh, controls are for the Gmail itself. For instance, uh, how it's backed up, if they can do a local backup, and who, how they can deactivate personal deactivate certain accounts or not. Um, I've never seen the back end of Google Apps, so I'm not sure exactly how granular the controls are for the email, but I'm guessing it has to do with some of that. Yeah, I would guess so. I'm not sure like if you can 
um, download a backup of everybody's email just in case or anything. So it could be more of a security issue from that standpoint of backups and stuff. I'm not real sure. This this is something I'm definitely going to have to look into a little bit more because I'm a big Gmail user, and if there's security issues, I want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But interesting stuff. Can't wait to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, it sounds more political than anything, and um, I guess that's why there's so little detail about the exact reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if it's, it's some issue with Google or if they have legitimate reasons or what. But speaking of online software, apparently Microsoft's free version of free online version of Office is supposed to premiere this week. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, it's going to be free, but the question is, will it stay that way? Next week, I believe next Thursday... Uh, there's going to be a roadshow and there's going to be a debut party of Office 2010 here in Austin, and I'm going to try to go to it, um, hopefully to glean a little bit more information about the online component, the mobile component, and, of course, the social networking features that are supposed to be debuting with uh, Office 2010. Um, So um, I should have more information about this and not our next show, but the show after that. Yeah, I've, I've used the Office... 2010 beta a little bit, at least a little bit in Word. I haven't gotten a chance to play with Excel or PowerPoint or anything like that. So far, I like it, but I'm really not seeing a huge difference between 2010 and 2007. There are some really nice features that I like when it comes to like copying and pasting from something on the Internet, just where I can choose... If I want to bring all the style information, like font sizes and fonts and stuff like that, from the text that I'm copying into my document, or if I want to strip all that stuff out and just have the words, I mean, there's some really nice features of it. But I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if this online version is going to hamper sales of the regular version. Oh, not at all. Uh, because most of their sales, especially when we're talking about Office, comes from corporate cons- corporate buyers, and they're still going to get the the they're still going to get the 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 bits version to house locally. Especially when you're talking about tie-in into their own servers, their own backup policy, and of course, when you think about corporations, they have their own privacy concerns about how their data is controlled and who gets to see it, um, and and they wouldn't want that going outside and. Speaking of corporations, where you see the biggest change in Office 2010 is in Outlook. I use Outlook. I'm using the Outlook uh, 2010 beta. It is awesome. It's it's faster to search. It doesn't lock up as much as the 2007 version. And um, I think that is something that's going to be not available online, of course. So I, I think that's going to be where most of their sales are going to come from, and so I don't. I think it's a really good move for them to allow people to use Office online. Yeah, the only experience I've ever had with Outlook is when I was going to school out in Utah, and it was just automatically installed on the ThinkPads that they gave us, and it was tied in to our school accounts, and that was my only experience with it, and I loved it. For some reason, I just never decided to have have um, to get it on my own and have it work back and forth with like my Gmail addresses and Hotmail and whatever else. 
just never really wanted to do that. And and I've even tried uh oh what's Mozilla's version Thunderbird mm-hmm. is their um, Outlook type client and theirs I don't like near as much. It's not horrible, but I don't care for it near as much. I'm kind of curious to see how this but how this um, free version of Office itself is going to compete with Google Docs because Google Docs has certainly gotten better and I use it almost daily um, just because of the, a number of features that it has like auto-saving and the fact that it's in the cloud, I can get to it, get to documents from anywhere, stuff like that. I'm kind of curious to see how this competes with that because what was it last week or the week before? I think it was the week before that Google Docs is starting to get some more Office-like features. Right, and you can use the online version of Office 22, I mean 2010, in beta form right now at docs.com. There's an announcement about how they're integrated with Facebook Connect uh, to allow you to use your, your Facebook logon uh, to, to access documents and to share them over Facebook. So if you want to take a look at it now, you can go to docs.com and check it out. Well, now I know where I'll be spending the rest of my evening. But, yeah, that'll be fun to check out. But speaking of the cloud, apparently Mark Cuban is foretelling the demise of Netflix because he sees a future in on-demand video. Yeah, he's essentially saying that streaming video is currently at a bubble, that they're growing too fast and they're just going to burst and explode and collapse on themselves. They said it's not sustainable about their revenue model and uh, how cheaply they're getting their content. And cable companies are going to win. Of course, he would, I mean, as a person who got out of the online streaming business and moved to uh, their own, his own failed uh, high-definition television service, I, I'm not sure exactly if he's way before his time or if he's just totally off on this mark. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. He always has some really good insights. I always enjoy reading his blog about various different tech issues and media issues and stuff like this. I'm not sure exactly where I come down on this. I don't know. It there's it seems to be a lot going on with the whole streaming movies thing and Netflix and stuff. I and mean, over the past couple of months we've covered several different stories of movie studios essentially taking more power and saying, Hey, we don't want you releasing our um movies on DVD or whatever for 28 days until after we've started selling them on DVD. And in return, we'll give you a little bit more of our back catalog for streaming that we've, that's probably 20 years old that we really don't care about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where he's, where Mark's coming from is that the, they're letting Netflix and others are letting the, movie companies and the TV companies and stuff have more power in the relationship and it's going to come back to bite Netflix. Yeah. I think the only way that if we're talking about Netflix and Hulu, um, about streaming, um, becoming more dominant is the one thing that he points out is that they're fully reliant on the studios to supply content. Um, if Netflix or Hulu became kind of like 
uh, how the Sci-Fi Network became, they were just uh, rebroadcasting like the Twilight Zone and some, several other uh, techie-centered shows. Uh, but instead of Hulu, if, if Hulu and Netflix started actually producing their own content, I think that would be something that could be very compelling um, and in the future give a platform for smaller production houses to, to have a distribution channel. Kind of like, um, uh, God, what was that one from the people who made Skype? They made their own television show, I mean television station. Um, I guess I didn't know about that, or at least if uh, I do, I don't remember it. Oh, gosh, what is it? I forget the name. It's going to come to me later. Uh, but uh, if they started pre- presenting their own uh, content or maybe even uh, talk to some larger podcast networks for syndication, I know I know, um, like Amazon already does this and TiVo already does this with some podcasters. I think they could really elevate some, uh, some, some content up to first class or first rate status with it being right next to uh next to major network television shows yeah that, that's what i would like to see is a lot more of this um smaller content the podcasts and stuff getting on to netflix or hulu or whatever i'd like to see deals between revision 3 and netflix to stream revision 3 shows on the xbox and stuff like that and just in the past week i've had this thought there really needs to be a site for like curating YouTube content and then um, posting it and maybe even setting up distribution deals with like a Netflix or a Hulu or whatever to not only help the um, producers of the content, which I don't know, write three, five minute videos from vloggers or whoever and just having a way of getting that content out to the mass 